So we started last week uh, with the book of Galatians. And we started out with the greeting, and, and now we're to this next section here. And this sermon in particular is actually uh, quite simple um, because I only have two points. The first is that um, you can disagree about a lot of things, that you can change slightly some other things here and there, but there is one thing that you cannot change, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there is one thing that you cannot change, and that is that through faith you are saved. That it is through faith of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, that he came to this earth, that he died on the cross, and that he rose again, that you are saved. That's it. And the second point is that if this gospel is truly within your heart, then this understanding will direct your fears. Now, for those who know me, you know that I enjoy reading. And I would say that if you get to know me better, you would know that of all genres, science fiction is my favorite. And if you get to really know me, you know that the reason why I love science fiction so much is because my favorite book of all time is Ender's Game. You know, I'm, not, I'm honestly not really sure why that is. Um, you know, I've thought about it. There are books that are better written. There are books that have maybe better plots. There are books that um, have better character development. Uh, but for me, Ender's Game has been and will always be my favorite book. And I don't know, maybe because I just identified with, uh, with Ender personally. Um, he has two older siblings. I, too, have two older siblings. He has an older brother and older sister, same uh, as me. He's kind of awkward and kind of sensitive, and, and I was also awkward and sensitive. And, and even to this day, I, I'm still a little bit so. Uh, but for me, as, as I really thought about it, Ender's Game was uh, special to me. Uh, Ender's Game was something that I grew up with and, and that I cherished in my heart. It, it was a book that I read again and again, and there would be lines of it that I memorized. There would be lines of it that I would go over again because I enjoyed the story so much. And so in 2013, when I heard that there was going to be a movie that was made about the book, I was so excited. I was so happy. However, my joy quickly turned to sorrow when I would read review after review, when critic after critic talked about how bad the movie was. Not only that, they would say specifically that the movie didn't follow the book. They would say that the timeline was different. They said that the characters' ages didn't match the book's ages. They said that the plot was reversed, that there were parts that they would be missing, that there would be huge chunks of the book that would be gone. And so for me, I didn't watch it. In fact, I boycotted it. And to this day, seven years later, I have yet to see a single scene from that movie. I am, <laughs> yeah. So, 
You know, I've had, the thing is, I've had friends who've read the books and they've enjoyed it. And I've had uh, friends who've watched the movie also and, and they, for the most part, have enjoyed it. And, and they've always come up to me. We've had these conversations and these discussions and they said, you know what, look, Danny, like, the movie can never truly compare to the book. They said, Daniel, you have to understand that there's always going to be discrepancies, that there's always these differences. And, and you know what? If you just go in there with an open mind, if you go in there with kind of an open heart and just really just see it for what it is and, and not truly compare it one to the other, then I think that you're going to be able to go in there and enjoy it. And I always say just one thing to them. I say, step away from me. I say, don't, don't talk to me. I don't want to hear that. Because for me, it's more than just simple differences. Because, you know, for them, when, when they look at these, this book and this movie, there may be just small, tiny little variations, but for me, they mean everything. For, for them, they see these differences, and, and they're only small, but, but for me, the person who really loves these books, the person who grew up with this book, the person who, who cares about these characters here, even the smallest changes mean everything. Why am I talking about this? Because this goes back to my first point, that you can change a lot of different things, but you cannot change the true essence of the gospel. That there is one thing that you have to stand firm on, church. There is one thing that you cannot move a, a tiny bit. There is one thing that you cannot budge on. And that is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. See, in this letter, Paul is vastly different than in any other place that he writes. We know that in the New Testament, Paul writes a lot of these letters. And it's strange because he always starts out the same way. He says his greeting. And he talks about who he is. And then he always goes into thanksgiving. And he always talks about, I am thankful for this. I am thankful for that. There are always things for him to be thankful for. And only later he would talk about the things that the church would need fixing. Because every letter, it would be meant to give advice, to give guidance, to let the church know what they could fix and how they could improve. And yet that would always come later. It was always in the same format, greeting, thanksgiving, and then advice. You see, in Ephesians, I do not cease to give thanks to you. Corinthians, I give thanks to God for you. Romans, first, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you. And yet in Galatians, all this says is, what are you doing? Verse 6, let's read it together. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who calls you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That word desertion, it was a Greek military word that they would only use in the army. And it literally meant to change your allegiance. It literally meant to betray your own country. It was a word that was not used lightly, and so it would have shocked the Galatians to have heard Paul say this. And it would shock them because what they were doing didn't seem like that big of a deal. All they were doing is they would just say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I think there's just a little bit more that I have to add on to it. 
And they would look at these other churches and they would say, look, these other churches, they're being totally, totally divided because of gossip. And yet Paul, he doesn't really reprimand them that badly. Other churches, they're struggling with persecution, and yet Paul still takes the time to do his greeting. He, he takes the time to do his thanksgiving. But here, in this letter in particular, Paul is so clear, and he is so direct. And here is why. It's because for Christians, we can have a lot of different thoughts about a lot of different things. For Christians, you can differ in your thoughts about when and how you should be baptized. You can uh, differ in your thinking about whether speaking in tongues is good or bad. You can differ in your viewpoint about are miracles and healing uh, essential for today or is it only for the early church? Some churches, they don't use instruments when they praise. When I was in college, I remember going to a church service and, and they would do only a cappella. And it was one of the most beautiful things to hear because you would hear hundreds of voices being raised up, singing together. And because for them, they said that instruments simply distracted them. That for them, they wanted to focus all of who they are on worshiping the Lord. And so they said, let's just use the, our voices, the instruments that God has given us to give praise to the Lord. So they said, I don't want any distractions. I want to simply praise with our voice. And it was so absolutely beautiful hearing that. On the flip side, I went to a different church in college. And for them, they had multiple drummers. They had multiple electric guitarists. They had strobe lights going on. They had fog lights everywhere. And it was pretty crazy. And we may see, oh, that, that's kind of strange. That's kind of weird. But you see, their focus was on ministering and evangelizing to Skid Row. And Skid Row is one of the most highly concentrated homeless populations in the world. And so what I would see every week when I go there is I would see drug addicts, I would see prostitutes, I would see gang members who would usually never go into a church, who would never step into one of those buildings, hear the music, see what's happening, step one, get one step in, go another step, hear the gospel, and be changed forevermore. Praise the Lord. It was a blessing to be able to see that the gospel was able to change lives. And so for us as Christians, we can have differing views on a lot of different things. Some people have differing views on alcohol, that you shouldn't drink it at all, or it's okay to partake in it, in it once in a while. People can have different views on church government. And on so many different things, and you know what? That's okay. And for me, look, I'm not going to lose sleep if one day I get an email and it says, look, we need to be drinking wine instead of grape juice for communion. You know what? That's, that's fine. I don't, I don't mind if you think that. Because guess what? When I die and that person dies, I'll probably see them in heaven. And we can have a lot of fun there and, and everything's going to be fine. But Paul says that when it comes to the gospel, you cannot have a different view. 
And Paul says that when it comes to the gospel, that even if it's a little bit skewed, that even if it's a little bit different, that it is wrong. He says that even if it's a little bit towards what you believe may be right, that even if it's a little bit towards your works, then what you have done is betray God, that you have changed your allegiance, that you have turned towards the enemy. That's why in verse 7 it says this, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That word distort that we read here means to literally turn inside out. What Paul is saying is that when you try and change even a small portion of the gospel, you are turning it completely inside out. There's no spectrum of belief here. Paul's not saying, look, you can believe in this, that you can try to put the gray in this, or you can be in this area right here. No, he says, there's no spectrum here. There's no all under one umbrella here. There's no uh, gray or whatever. There's no different focus. It's either the true gospel or the false one. Because church, the true gospel is this, that you are saved through faith completely through the work of Jesus Christ. That's it. And the false gospel is this, that you are saved by faith and through your work. That you are saved by faith and how hard you are praying. That you are saved by faith and how much you are reading the Bible. That you are saved by faith and how much you are coming to church. That you are saved by faith and how much you are giving to your offering, by how much you are serving, by how much you are doing all of these things. And for many of us, we are worried because we think salvation is based upon our level of faith. Because we prayed hard and served hard, and because of those things, we are saved. And so for us, as time goes on, and we slowly go down in our faith, and we make a mistake, and if we slacken our Bible reading, if we stop praying as much, then we think that we are beginning to slowly lose our salvation. But church, the, the beauty of the true gospel is this. We are not saved by the level of our faith. We are saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And if you are worried about your salvation and you think that maybe your salvation is on the line because you haven't been faithful enough, then Paul is saying that maybe for you the truth of the gospel hasn't really clicked yet. One illustration that I love is Imagine you are falling off a cliff and you know that you are going to die. But you look down and you see this branch sticking out from the cliff. How much faith do you need in that branch in order for it to save you? Not that much. You just need enough faith to grab it. Because you see, the branch is what's going to do the work, not the level of your faith. 
And so church, it's not the level of your faith that saves you. It's going to be the object of your faith that saves you. And for us, the object of our faith is never going to break. The object of our faith is never going to lose his faithfulness. Because the object of our faith is only Jesus Christ. Do you get that? What Paul is saying is, when you truly understand that only Jesus can give you salvation, then you are free. Galatians 5.1, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to a yoke of slavery. And so what he's saying is that if you believe this, if this true gospel is truly yours, then Christianity is not going to be a burden. It's not going to be you forcing yourself to come to church. It's not going to be you forcing yourself to read the Bible. It's not going to be you forcing yourself to pray. It's going to be the greatest joy that you have ever, ever experienced. The things that you do will not be in order for you to gain something, but it's simply going to be a response to what God has done in your life. You know, Kenny and Becky, there are two of our deacons here. And for me, I've never told them this, but one of the greatest joys for me is, is seeing both of them either on Wednesday or on Sundays, because for both of them, they lead praise for our children's ministry. And so it is so amazing to see these two adults, right? They have kids. They have families. They have jobs. They're well-respected in their communities. And yet for them, I see them up on stage, dancing like there's no tomorrow, choreographed to, the, to a point. And, for, and to the untrained eye, you would look at them and you think, is this some type of weird workout video for children? It seems so strange. And yet when I see them, I see the joy in their eyes. When I see the joy in their faces that every week they're more than willing to serve. That even in the circumstances, that even for them, they know that there's other people out there who would see them and maybe even mock them or embarrass them or say that they're strange or, or be ashamed or humiliated of them. And yet for them, every single week they come up and they serve and they give and they give out of joy. It's because that one truth in their life, that they know that Jesus Christ did it all for them. And so all that they're doing is serving in response for that. Church, is that your truth as well? Is that the truth of your life, that when you come here, you are standing here in response to what God has done in your life? That is not because you are trying to earn your salvation. That is not because you are trying to earn good favor from the Lord. It is not because you are trying to earn good things from 2020. It is simply because you know what Jesus Christ did in your life. And so you are here saying, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for everything that you've done in my life, for allowing me to have breath today, for allowing me to have children today, for allowing me to go to school today, for allowing me to go to work for allowing me to have these things, for allowing me to even smile. God, thank you for that. This is simply a response to all that you have done. Is that your response, church? Because this is what the true gospel does. It gives you that type of freedom. And you know what? People are going to think that you're crazy. Because when you act in this way, when you give this way. It is so different than the world. 
It's so different than the priorities of the, what the world tells you to prioritize. That when you see someone dancing like that, it looks so strange. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, it says that the presence of the Lord was in the Ark of the Covenant and that the Ark of the Covenant was finally coming to Jerusalem. And so it says that King David, who was king over the entire country, he came out in his underwear because he was so excited. And it said that he was dancing with all of his might. That with all of his might, he was just dancing and giving praise and worshiping the Lord. And it says that the people were so ashamed and embarrassed because he was the most respected and honored man there. And it says that he came back to his home. Someone said, aren't you ashamed? Aren't you embarrassed of the way that you acted? You are supposed to be the king. You are supposed to be the leader of this country. Why are you acting this way? And David says this one thing. I will be even more undignified than this because the Lord chose me. And so I will celebrate. What David is saying is this. Look, I don't fear you. I don't fear what man is going to think. I don't fear what other people are going to be thinking of me. The only person that I fear is God. And this is my last point. An understanding of the true gospel will direct your fears. Verse 10 says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The word fear in the Bible is used differently than the way that we're used to. When we say we, we have the fear of God, it means that we are in awe of him. That you are attracted to him. It means that you put him first above everything else. So we should have the fear of God in our lives. And it means the same thing when we have the fear of man. It means that you are in awe of people. That you are attracted to others. That you put people above God. And look, there's nothing wrong with trying to help others or wanting to make them happy. That's a good thing. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, look, and all you do, try to not give offense to Jews or Greeks. Try to compromise. Try to, try to work with them. Try to please them. Try to make them happy. That's a good thing. And yet what he also says here is, look, I'm not trying to seek the approval of man. Look, what, what God says I'm going to do. And so I'm not going to try to only please man. I'm going to try my best to please God. And so what we have is this strain because we're supposed to honor God and we're supposed to fear God and yet we also don't want to give offense to people. And so what does that mean? How can we fear God and yet also not give offense? 
What I believe that means, and what I believe Paul is saying, is that fearing God means knowing how to pick your battles. It means being wise in your decisions on what to hold firm to and what not, and what to be able to loosen your hand to. It goes back to what we talked before. Look, I can disagree with other Christians about a lot of things, but there are very few things that I'm going to die upon. I can disagree with Christians about a lot of different areas, about interpretation, about these slightly different things, but look, if you and I disagree about the gospel of Jesus Christ, then there's a problem. If you and I disagree about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is one place where I will stand firm, where I will stick my feet, where I will not move from. Because I know for me, that is my main and major priority. And this is why it's so important for you, church, for you to direct your vision to the Lord, for you to look upon God in every step of the way, because it is him who will tell you what places you need to focus on and what areas you need to cut away and what areas you may need to serve and what areas you may need to help out with. Because what you're going to see is that the more you trust upon the Lord, you're going to know what areas you need to fight and what areas you can loosen your hand to. And what you will realize is that if God isn't your priority, if your priority is everything else in this world, then one of two things is going to happen. Either you are going to be abrasive and you will fight about everything. Or secondly, you will stand firm about nothing. And so direct your vision to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will be the one that directs your steps. You know, something our church does is, is give at least 50% of our yearly budget to missions. And at the end of every fiscal year, whatever surplus that we have, whatever money that we have left over from our budget, we always save 10% of it for our church and we give the rest to foreign missions as well. And the reason why we believe this, the reason why we've set this apart is because from the very beginning, we believe that this is a vision God has given our church. That there are many different churches there, there are many different visions, but for our church, God has instilled upon us that we believe nothing is more important than the vision of God, and the vision of God is to spread the gospel to all nations. And so we have set that apart from the very beginning. A long time ago, when our church was still very young, God gave us a very important test. Because for us, we had just bought this building and we had to pay back the loan for this building. And it was in the hundreds of thousands, it was around $500,000 that we had to pay back. So at the end of that fiscal year, we saved 10%. And the remaining budget and the remaining amount ended up being $100,000. Now, that money we had already set apart that money we had already set in our vision that we would give to foreign missions. And yet, we had a $500,000 loan that we needed to pay off. 
And so what were we supposed to do? We were at a fork in the road. Either we could give our money to pay off the loans a little bit at a time, or we could trust in the vision to what God has called us to. It was one of the hardest decisions our church ever had to make. And so what we decided to do was follow the vision that God had given us. And so we dedicated that $100,000 to foreign missions. And we decided to pray about the loan. And so we gave it up to our congregation at that time. And we just said, hey, we're trying to raise $500,000. Can we pray about it? Can you give to this cause? Can you, can you do this? Can we, can we give a little bit so we can start adding up? Because we believe so strongly in, in this money that we have set apart for this. And that week, a member came up to Pastor Lim. And he said, look, any amount of money that the church offers, I'm going to match until we hit 500000 And so only a month later, the church ends up raising $270,000, and that one person gave $230,000. Now, a couple days later, Pastor Lim is in his office, and he gets this call from a good friend of him, a good friend of his who happens to also be the chairman of a missions organization. And that chairman, he, he says, look, I, I have this, this thing that's coming up in Cambodia right now. And Pastor Lim goes, what is it? He says, there's this epidemic that's happening where there are thousands of adults who are dying of AIDS. And because there's no system and structure in place, because the government isn't able to help there, you have all of these children that are going off into the streets and they are turning to the only people who are willing to accept them there. They're going to gangs, they're going to slavery, they're going to prostitution. And so we need help here. And so Pastor Lynn goes, how much do you need? And the chairman goes, look, I, we need to set up an orphanage and, and I know it's going to be a lot. Pastor Lynn goes, how much? The chairman goes, look, we made a business plan for it. It's going to be a little bit of money, but we, we, we really prayed about, really thought about. Pastor goes, how much? The chairman goes, it's going to be $100,000. Pastor goes, good, here it is. That orphanage in Cambodia has been one of the cornerstone ministries upon which Shining Star has been based that in all of this world, that in the past 20 years, as we have spread further and further out to all of these different nations, that orphanage in Cambodia has been a place of revival, of repentance, of renewal, that we have seen hundreds of children step away from the street, step away from gangs, step away from prostitution, and hear the word of God. And so church, my one question to you is going to be this. Will you fear man or will you fear God? Will you trust in man or will you trust in God? 
that has to be the number one thought in your mind as you move forward. Because if that is the number one thing, if the gospel is the true center of your life, if trusting in the Lord and fearing in the Lord is your one true center, then everything else will flow from that. And you will be at peace. For so many of us, we have these chains that we put on ourselves of sin and of all these different things that we are trying so hard to work at. That if we just pray a little bit harder, that if we work a little bit harder, that if we go to church a little bit more, that maybe we can gain salvation. Church, don't you realize that those chains have already fallen off? Don't you realize that that prison you are in, the door is wide open? That for you, if you believe in the true gospel, that is only through faith in Jesus Christ that you are saved. You are completely and absolutely set free. And so have peace and know that you are set free in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray.